one of the greatest regular seasons in Baltimore Orioles history is over. And the O's finish with 101 wins after they split a four-game series with the Red Sox this weekend. I'll recap these pretty much meaningless games that the Orioles played, talk about what stood out, and then little Orioles news and notes as we head into the off week before the postseason. Coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the Orioles' final games of the 2023 regular season as they ended up splitting the four-game series with the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park this weekend to finish 101-61 and at the end of their magical regular season. I'll recap the one win that we haven't talked about yet, the Saturday night victory. Get you the five things you need to know from that one. Talk about the, some things that stood out from the Orioles' losses on Friday and on Sunday in the final day of the regular season, and then a bunch of Orioles news and notes coming across the timeline we'll get to, including we got the unfortunate final word on Felix Bautista's season, Orioles making some roster moves, and John Angelos lying to the Orioles fans once again. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So we'll kick things off today talking about the Orioles weekend against the Red Sox. Of course, when I left you last on Friday, it was a celebration. The Orioles had just won game one of this series on Thursday night, two nothing over Boston to clinch their first AL East title since 2014. And after that, there really wasn't much to play for in the final three games of the season. They had hit hundred wins. They had gotten the AL East title. They were pretty much secured into the second best record in baseball and just behind the Atlanta Braves. Really nothing to go for. So the Orioles moved some things around. We knew these games weren't going to matter for much for the Orioles. And because of that, you know, I'm sure the Red Sox probably had a little more fight this weekend, although they were out of the playoff race, playing for a little more pride than the Orioles were. And so the Red Sox ended up getting two of the wins and splitting this four-game series. After that 2 nothing win for the Orioles on Thursday night, they returned and dropped Friday night's game 3 nothing. But then they came back in front of a sold-out crowd Saturday, won at 5-2 before dropping the season finale on Sunday with a 6-1 to loss. The Orioles finished the regular season 101-61. and And again, it's another series against an AL East opponent where they do not lose the series. And because they got two out of four against Boston, the Orioles finished the year with a winning record against all four other AL East teams. Just another great stat in this 2023 regular season. But I wanted to start today with the one win that we haven't talked about yet from this Orioles regular season being over. The final win of the regular season. Saturday night, the Orioles defeating the Red Sox 5-2 to get win number 101. And I wanted to get you the five things you need to know from that one. And the first thing you need to know is... It was a strong finish for Kyle Gibson. Now, we weren't quite sure how long Kyle Gibson was going to be allowed to go in this game. We knew it was a meaningless game. It would be his final start of the regular season. And 
I'm sure the Orioles are still toiling with the idea of whether or not Gibson will start a postseason game in the ALDS next week. Now, they kind of landed in the middle. It wasn't a super short start, but if it were still meaningless, Gibson probably would have continued to pitch in the game. Kyle Gibson goes five scoreless innings in this one against the Red Sox. Did allow seven hits, but scattered them well. Four strikeouts and just one walk in 80 pitches over five innings. For Gibson, who does finish the season with a 4.73 ERA for the Orioles, came just short of 200 innings, but pitched pretty close there for the O's on the season. And, you know, it it wasn't his best day, and I'm sure he wasn't throwing his best stuff up there when he needed to, and he only got five whiffs on the day. The sweeper was not the pitch it usually is, and he didn't really throw it that much. It was a lot of fastballs from Kyle Gibson, but what it was is five scoreless innings against a good Red Sox lineup, and that is what you like to see from Gibson here. Again, we are still unsure what the Oros are going to do with the playoff rotation. It feels like at this point it is... I guess you could say five pitchers for four spots, but really it's three pitchers for two spots because Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish have two of those spots locked in. You need four starters in the postseason. It's down to Dean Kramer, John Means, and Kyle Gibson for those final two spots, and Gibson is still alive to get one of those. I think this was a fine step towards that. I think the O's are, are more so grading the entire body of work than this final start, but it's nice to get five scoreless out there for Gibson. Second thing you need to know from the win on Saturday is that Bruce Zimmerman got himself a cool moment. It was unfortunate for Jorge Lopez. We'll talk about it a little bit later that he was DFA'd on Saturday. Orioles making the move mostly because Lopez was not eligible for the postseason. And because of that, you know, you would just rather make that move now and get a fresh arm up there to pitch for you. It's kind of an unfortunate part of the game when you get acquired into an organization after September 1st, but it is what it is. Zimmerman was recalled to take his place on Saturday. And the plan was, you know, Zimmerman pitches in bulk behind Kyle Gibson, and that's what he did, and he did a pretty nice job of it for the Orioles Zimmerman, who hasn't been back up in the bigs for a bit this season, but he returns to throw two scoreless innings, two hits, no walks, and two strikeouts for the Maryland native Bruce Zimmerman, and again, he is not going to be on the playoff roster. We officially know that now because he was then optioned back down to AAA on Sunday in favor of Cole Irvin, But he's another guy who's been on the 40-man all year, had a much reduced role, spent most of the season in AAA Norfolk. But it was nice to see him get back out there, second to last day of the season, get to pitch in an Oriole uniform one more time this year at his home ballpark in front of the fans that he was, you know, once a part of when he was growing up in Maryland. And nice to see him give the O's two scoreless. And, you know, the future has a lot of questions for Bruce Zimmerman. It's not a guy we've talked about a lot because although he's been on the 40-man and he's pitched for the O's multiple different times this year, He's not the pitcher he was early in 2022, and for a while there, like after John Means went out, he looked like the O's best starter for a couple of months before it kind of all fell apart last season for Zimmerman. Now, he's still been on the 40-man, and that's how you know the Orioles still see something in him. But if they're really going to add to the pitching staff this offseason, Zimmerman could definitely be a 40-man roster crunch casualty. And there's a chance he may never pitch for the Orioles again after Saturday. It's a certain possibility. So if that's the case, cool for him to go out with a nice little scoreless outing. Third thing you need to know from Saturday's win, sticking with former starters in the bullpen, is that Jack Flaherty, in his second relief appearance, did not look as great as the last one. As the last one was two scoreless innings, the stuff was looking really, really good. This one, not so much from Flaherty, who came in in the eighth inning with the Orioles leading 2-0 and struggled a bit. Now, he did not walk anyone, which was good, but A.J. Pierzynski, who was on the National Fox broadcast on Saturday night, this is probably the best point he made all night. He was talking about how, yes, Flaherty did not walk a batter in that outing, 
but it wasn't about his control. It was about his command. Like he was throwing strikes, but he was throwing pitches that were meant to be fastballs on the outside corner and they were on the inside corner or it was supposed to be a slider in the dirt down and away and it would back up on the inner half of the plate. And, and he got away with some of them, didn't get away with others, ended up allowing a run on two hits with two strikeouts in the eighth inning through 27 pitches. Now, he didn't allow a hard hit ball, got two Ks, didn't walk anyone. That's the good thing. The bad thing was there was traffic on the bases, and again, the command was shaky. And that final appearance, as Flaherty did not pitch in the Sunday game, doesn't really give me still a full look of what the Orioles see Jack Flaherty as. We know they don't see him as a postseason starter. We know that at this point. But there's still a chance that Flaherty could have a role to play out of the Orioles' postseason bullpen. And after seeing what he did Saturday, again, it's a meaningless game. It's one inning. It's not the biggest deal in the world. You don't want to go off of all that. But it certainly didn't make you think, okay, Flaherty has a place in this postseason bullpen. So I think a lot of questions for him as well throughout the rest of this week. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 5-2 victory on Saturday night is that Ryan Mountcastle started to find his swing just a little bit at the end of the regular season. Returning from the shoulder issue in a couple over days, but then on Friday night, he picked up two hits. And then on Saturday, he got the Orioles scoring started, ripping an RBI double down the right field line to finally break the scoreless tie, put the Orioles up one nothing in the bottom of the seventh inning. It was Mountcastle's only hit of the day. He went one for three with that double and later scored a run, but he had three hard hit balls in the game. And listen, Ryan Mountcastle is going to be on the Orioles postseason roster. At this point, we just kind of don't know what his role is going to be between the, the, the complete roller coaster that has been his 2023 regular season. But to just have him there to know at the very least he'll be a lefty masher and he could be more. You hope he can be more. Nice to see him find the swing a little bit right at the end of the season. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the O's final regular season win is that the offense did finally get things going late. You know, Friday was the hangover game. They got shut out, lost 3-0. You kind of expect that. Then they were getting shut out through the first six innings on Saturday, and you're like, all right, these games don't really matter, but at least let somebody put the ball in play and, and get something going a little bit. And they finally did do that in the seventh inning. It was once Cutter Crawford left the game. Crawford was incredible, the Red Sox starter. Six scoreless, one hit, seven Ks, no walks. Then they go to Josh Winkowski in the eighth, and the Orioles finally say, all right, let's get ourselves some base runners, and uh, or excuse me, in the seventh, let's get ourselves some base runners and start scoring some runs. Adley Rutschman leads it off with a single. Then you get back-to-back -back strikeouts from Santander and O'Hearn, but then Mountcastle delivers with the RBI double, and then Heston Kerstad bounces a single up the middle, got just enough of it to score the second run for the Orioles on kind of a misplay at second base as well, but it was an infield single, and that was nice to see. And then they come right back out in the eighth after the Red Sox get the run off Flaherty to make it 2-1, to one, and they rally again. Arias grounds out, but then Westberg singles. Gunnar Henderson rips a double 112 off the bat into right field. Jorge Mateo makes contact, runs scores in a close play at the plate. It was an incredible slide by Jordan Westberg to score that third run on Saturday night. And then Santander kind of capped things off with a two-run single to make it a 5-1 to one game. And that was plenty for the Orioles to hold on to in the ninth. So it was nice to see, you know, in a game that didn't really matter. One final little offensive rally late in the eighth inning of a game like we've seen just all season from the Orioles. But the O's did win it 5-2 on Saturday to get win number 101. But that was their final win of the season. I mentioned the loss on Friday. Also losing 6-1 to on Sunday to wrap things up in the regular season portion of 2023. And yeah, there wasn't a lot of, of super big positives from those two losses. Now they were games that didn't matter, so you expect the team to not be going at 100%. But I did pick out five things just to kind of talk about. Five things to note from the final two Orioles losses 
of the regular season, and we'll break those down coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Now, if you're thinking tickets right now, I'm 99% sure that what is on your mind is Orioles postseason tickets. The regular season is over. The ALDS Game 1 is at the yard on Saturday. And if you don't have tickets yet, maybe go check out Game Time. It is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. That includes the Baltimore Orioles in the postseason. And with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy it to know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And you'll know postseason tickets more expensive than the regular season. So you want to have that peace of mind. You want to know what you're getting before you spend a little bit of extra money. But that's the other good thing with Game Time. You can still get great deals. They have exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for Orioles games, zone deals as well, where Game Time can pick the seats, but you can get savings. And they got the Game Time guarantee, which means you'll always get the best price. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked On MLB. That's L O C K E D O N M L B for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So the Orioles end up splitting the four-game series this weekend with the Boston Red Sox. Of course, the big one was Thursday night when they clinched the division. The other three, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, didn't matter too, too much. Lost Friday, won Saturday, then lost Sunday 6-1 to one, to finish off the regular season at 101-61. and 61. And because those games were pretty much meaningless at this point to the Orioles, you don't want to read too much into the things that happened in those final three games of the year. But there are still things to pick apart because the O's still have some playoff roster decisions to make. So I picked out five things to note from the two losses, the one Friday and the one Sunday in this series. I wanted to just break them down here just to talk about some things that we noticed in the final regular season games for the Orioles. And the first thing is John Means was good again in his final test of the regular season. Means got the start on Friday night in the Orioles' loss. He was bested by Nick Pavetta, who threw seven scoreless, two hits, 10 Ks, and one walk, getting the start for the Red Sox. Pavetta was just incredible in the second half this year for Boston. But Means was good, too. Six and a third innings for John Means, two runs on three hits, four strikeouts, no walks, and he did allow a two-run homer to Trevor Story in the fifth inning. That was the only runs that Means allowed in the 82 pitches he threw. Again, if it was a bigger spot, not a meaningless game, he probably would have pitched deeper. Again, the pitch count was only at 82. And he did allow his most hard-hit balls of any start so far since coming back from Tommy John, as the Red Sox got 11 of them off him in six and a third innings. But again, if you get six and a third innings and two runs in a playoff start from John Means, you're taking that every single time. And he did miss some more bats in this one as well, which I think was really, really encouraging. 11 whiffs on 46 swings, not a great percentage, but the changeup was missing bats. Seven whiffs on 18 swings against Means' best pitch, his changeup against some good righties in that Red Sox order. He was throwing it to both righties and lefties. And it's going to be really tough for the O's to make this postseason rotation decision and it's good that Means did this again. I mean, he had four no-hit innings before he gave up a double and then the story two-run homer in the fifth. And it's just like, he looks healthy. He's still not back to, like, peak 
you know, no-hitter timeline John means that he was in 2021, but he looks good enough to start multiple postseason games for the Orioles, and that is great news, but it makes for some tough decisions to make in this playoff rotation. But again, all good things, really, at this point for the Orioles. Second thing to notice from those final two losses that Shintaro Fujinami may have failed his final two tests. As Fuji's season went along and, you know, he was starting to figure it out a bit there in September and then things kind of came crashing down a little bit for Fuji right at the end of the season, it was not great to see what he did in those final two appearances. So he pitched on Friday, pitched the ninth inning for the Orioles in a game they were trailing 2 nothing, and he ended up allowing a run on one hit, a walk, and a strikeout, and it took him 32 pitches. Now... Fuji, if he makes a little better defensive toss in that inning, probably gets an out at the plate and may escape without a run on the board. And he honestly did a nice job to only allow it be one run because it looked like that was going to get much more out of hand. And, you know, they didn't hit the ball hard against him and he got a strikeout and only one walk is not terrible from some of the stuff we've seen from Fuji this year. But, you know, three whiffs on 16 swings isn't great. Only two out of 12 on the fastball. The velocity was, was solid as usual, but it just... You know, he didn't look comfortable. He wasn't throwing consistent strikes, and it wasn't great. And and smart enough from Brandon Hyde was, hey, let's give him one more shot. So Fuji again pitches in the the kind of meaningless what ended up being a bullpen game on Sunday after Kyle Bradish looked awesome in his two innings scoreless with five strikeouts. It was basically a bullpen day after that to get everybody some work on Sunday before, you know, they would get five days off until they play again in game one of the ALDS on Saturday. And Fuji, again, just didn't really look great. I mean, it was a scoreless inning. He did not allow a hit, but one walk and no strikeouts on 13 pitches. It was certainly better than it was Friday night. So that was a better, you know, data point to end on for Fuji than Friday night would have been had he not pitched the rest of the weekend. But he did not get a swing and miss. He really didn't show strikeout stuff, and he still struggled with the command. And at this point, like, the number one guy that's on the bubble for the postseason roster might be fading towards the bad side of the bubble is Shintaro Fujinami. Like, there's a chance, and I'll talk about this later in the week, that what a lot of postseason teams do, because you need less pitchers in the postseason with all the built-in off days and needing only four starters, teams will tend to carry 14 hitters and just 12 pitchers instead of the usual 13 and 13 that they do in the regular season because there's sometimes more chances to pinch hit. You want to get better matchups, and again, you need less pitchers. And because of that, Fuji could be that odd man left out where if they did go with 13 pitchers, he might be that final guy because he does still have strikeout stuff. But if he's really struggling this much, I could see where they leave Fuji off, at least for the ALDS roster and kind of go from there. Certainly something to monitor, but he is not trending in the right direction. Third thing that uh, just noticed from those two losses for the Orioles this weekend is that Ciano Perez kind of lost the strike zone on Sunday. It was uh it was maybe the ugliest outing of the year for Perez, and that's tough to say because he had some bad outings in the first half. There was probably some worse ones, but two-thirds of an inning, two hits, three walks, one strikeout, four runs. Now, all four runs were unearned because, as we'll get to, the Orioles' defense wasn't very good, but three hard-hit balls. He throws 30 pitches. Ciano Perez, before Sunday's game, had walked a total of three batters in his previous 24 appearances. And then he comes out there and walks three batters in just the seventh inning alone on Sunday. And again, a meaningless game, so you take everything with a grain of salt. And Perez has been nails for the last two months for the Orioles. It's been awesome, but not the way you want to finish out your regular season and go into this week-long break. 
I don't think it means anything for him. I think he is a stone-cold lock for the postseason roster to be a big part of that Orioles bullpen from the left side, but just not what you want to see from CNL Perez to end the season. Fourth thing to notice from the two losses, specifically Sunday, defense kind of took Sunday off, right? They made three errors. All six runs that the Red Sox scored Sunday ended up being unearned. Gunnar Henderson made a couple of tough errors. I think that's the biggest product of all this is just like our heads aren't 100% in it because we've clinched everything. We're, we're ready for our break. These games don't really matter. It happens. The Orioles defense has been locked down in the second half. Not super worried about it, but you can't not talk about it because, yeah, things got – Jim Palmer talked about it. Things got pretty sloppy on Sunday. And the fifth and final thing, noticing from the two losses, is that, well, the Orioles scored one run over two games in those two losses. They're shut out on Friday night. Nick Pavetta just torched them. They only got three hits. And then Sunday, there was a no-hitter going until the sixth. They score one run. Adley Rutschman gets an RBI single in the eighth inning, but one run, only, only two hits for the Orioles on Sunday. And again, you know, you're not going 100%. You've clinched everything up. I think the one noticeable thing, though, has been Ryan O'Hearn. He had an 0 for 2 on Sunday. O'Hearn is now 0 for his last 23 at the plate, has not really been producing over the last week or so of the regular season for the O's. But one thing to note there is that O'Hearn has been through, like, two other slumps like this this season where he went like an anywhere from 0 for 15 to 0 for 25 before he broke out of it. And both times he broke out of the slump and both times during the slump, he was still hitting the ball just as hard as he did when he was swinging the bat. Well, and during this 0 for 23 for Ryan O'Hearn, he has put 16 balls in play in the 0 for 23, eight of those 16 balls have been hard hit, which is an exit velocity of 95 miles per hour or above. Ryan O'Hearn's hard hit percentage for the season is 51%. It's top 10 in baseball. He's still at 50%, 8 for 16, during the 0 for 23. So what that tells me is, especially with a little week off here, O'Hearn's going to be ready to break out again when the postseason starts, and that is going to be huge for the O's because, again, he's still hitting it hard, just getting unlucky. He'll be ready to go and producing in the playoffs with the Orioles again. Did lose two this weekend, split the series, and finish 101 and 61. But we got some other Orioles news and notes to get to coming up next to finish off the podcast. Of course, we got to get to the big one, which is the Felix Bautista news. And it's not great news for him or for the Orioles. We'll talk about that coming up next. So as the Orioles finish their regular season at 101 and 61, next up is the postseason. But first... Five days off for the Orioles. They play Sunday afternoon. They don't play again until Saturday, which is scheduled game one of the ALDS at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Games one and two, Saturday and Sunday before the off day on Monday. And at this point, the Orioles know which of the two teams they could be playing. The series, which they will match up with in the wildcard series, is Rangers at Rays. That will be the best of three series starting on Tuesday night. All three games, or two and then three if necessary, will be played at the Trop in Tampa. And the winner of that three-game set between the Rangers and the Rays will travel to Baltimore to take on the Orioles. Now, wasn't the best outcome for the O's. It was looking more likely that it would be Blue Jays-Rays. And with the amount that the Orioles have dominated the Blue Jays, and honestly, combined with the, the Jays and the Rays, I mean, the O's have played great baseball against both of those teams this year. The Orioles went 18-8 and combined against Tampa and Toronto this year, so I would have loved that matchup. Texas, the O's went 3-3 three and three against this season. They got a scary offense. Pitching staff, we'll see. But that will be the matchup the Orioles will be watching this week. But 
Thinking a lot of other news and notes over the weekend. Just wanted to touch on them all briefly. Most of these things, honestly, we will get into a little deeper maybe later this week and more likely in the offseason once the Orioles' playoff run is over. But the first thing is Felix Bautista. The Orioles announcing over the weekend that Felix has officially been shut down for the rest of the season. As I kind of assumed and had talked about throughout, Felix Bautista will not pitch again for the Orioles this season. After leaving the game on August 25th against the Rockies with that elbow injury after throwing a 102-mile-per-hour fastball, Orioles said it was a partial tear of his UCL, the injury that usually leads to Tommy John surgery, but they weren't going to make a decision yet. Doctors had said he can't further injure it by throwing. He continued to play catch. He threw some bullpens. Then he threw a live BP session on Tuesday, and that was kind of that. Orioles media didn't see him throw again, and the Orioles announced over the weekend he will get Tommy John. Now, this is something I had talked about since Felix went down with the injury, is that it kind of didn't matter whether he got Tommy John in August when he got injured or if he got TJ in October or November. Now, the Orioles have said he's going to get it within the next two weeks here, so in early October he's going to undergo the surgery. Generally, the comeback is 12 to 18 months, and it's generally a little shorter for relievers because, again, you don't have to build up to pitching six or seven innings like a starter. You just have to be built up to pitch one inning again, so that timeline is usually closer to the 12 months for relievers. And the Orioles have said, obviously, Felix will miss the entirety of the 2024 season, but they expect him to be back and ready to go in spring training of 2025, which will be a nice guy to have back, basically. A nice boost for the Orioles' bullpen when we get to that point. Now, we'll get to in the offseason what the Orioles will do in the closer spot without Felix next year. But they also agreed to a two-year contract with him. They'll pay him $1 million next year as he's rehabbing Tommy John. And then they buy out his first year of arbitration in 2025 with another $1 million. They did a similar thing with John Means right after he got Tommy John surgery. We can get into this a little more in the offseason. But basically, this helps Felix in the short term and really helps the Orioles in the long term. The reason it helps Felix is he'll make more money next year because he would have just been making the minimum, essentially. Now he'll make a million dollars. And he'll be guaranteed a million dollars for 2025 just in case he comes back from the injury and he's not the same. And the arbitration ruling you know, isn't a little bit more than that. But unfortunately, because his first arbitration year will start at $1 million, that's kind of the baseline for the next couple years of arbitration. So his earning in his final few years of that rookie contract with the O's will probably be less than it could have been if he returns to anything even close to the peak Felix we've seen over the last couple of years. Again, probably break this down further in the offseason, but helps the Orioles in the long term financially, helps Felix in the short term. Because listen, this is a guy who spent 10 years in the minors, is a reliever who are already volatile, is now getting Tommy John. I'm sure he just wanted that short-term financial protection, and that's why he took that guaranteed $2 million. But it's unfortunate Orioles bullpen has, has held up without Felix Bautista, and now they know they're not going to have him. Should be a combination of Yinyer Cano, Tyler Wells, Cino Perez, Danny Coulomb, trying to lock things down in the high leverage spots at the end in the playoffs, and hopefully they will be able to hold up. Now, they did make more bullpen moves this weekend. I mentioned it already. Jorge Lopez was DFA'd on Saturday as Bruce Zimmerman was activated. Then Zimmerman was sent down Sunday, and Cole Irvin came back up. Irvin then pitched two scoreless innings in the 8th and ninth out of the Oriole bullpen to finish off the regular season on Sunday. Of those three guys, really the only guy with a chance to make the postseason roster was Cole Irvin, so it makes sense that he's the one who finishes the regular season on the active roster. Zimmerman was just here to eat innings. There was never a chance he was going to be on it. But the whole thing with Jorge Lopez was, 
Because the Orioles claimed him off waivers from the Marlins on September 2nd, he was not in the organization by September 1st, which means there are no workarounds there. It is a hard rule. You are not eligible for the postseason if you are not in the organization with that team by September 1st. So because of that, this was kind of always the plan for the O's to DFA Jorge Lopez right at the end of the season because, you know, they did it with only one day left. They're basically assuming, okay, no one's probably going to claim him. Let's see if he likes this organization enough to maybe stay in the org, not become a free agent, and maybe stick around for what is the final year before he hits free agency in 2024. And the O's hope they can continue to work with him to get him back to close to what he was in the first half, the all-star version of Jorge Lopez in 2022. But it's kind of unfortunate the way it goes, but he knew that was the case, that he wasn't eligible for the playoffs. He probably knew this was going to happen, and that is what the Orioles did with that roster move. And that roster move, because it was a DFA and Zimmerman and Irvin were already on the 40-man, does leave a 40-man spot open right now for the Orioles. They currently have 39 players on the 40-man roster. So if they did want to get a little crazy with another pitcher, maybe have a guy replace Felix, quote-unquote, on the 40-man, try to get him on the playoff roster, they could do it. I don't see them doing that, but it is kind of a possibility at the moment. Did want to shout out the Norfolk Tides, right? Triple A champions. They won the International League title over the Durham Bulls back on Thursday night and then made it to the Triple A championship games. The Pacific League winner, which was the Oklahoma City Dodgers, of course, the Triple A team of the Dodgers, and the Norfolk Tides playing a one game championship on Saturday night. And shout out to the Tides. They win it seven to six to complete one of the best teams, best seasons in Norfolk Tides history. One of the great Orioles farm system teams of all time. That team was just stacked all year. Even as they lost players to the Orioles, they continued to stay great. Justin Armbruster has had a really good start. Colton Kowser hit a grand slam. Connor Norby hit a two-run homer. Bullpen kind of faltered in the ninth, but Joey Crable finished it off with a strikeout, and the Tides won it. Cool celebration there to win the Triple A championship. So shout out to them. Gunnar Henderson was named Most Valuable Oriole. Get to that a little bit later this week. He deserved it. My ballot would have been Gunnar Henderson, number one, Kyle Bradish number two, Felix Bautista, number three. And then if it continued, Adley Rutschman at four and Ryan O'Hearn at five would have been my ballot. For the other Orioles awards, Jackson Holiday, unsurprisingly, named Minor League Player of the Year after getting all the way up to AAA to end the season. And Minor League Pitcher of the Year is Chase McDermott. Turns out to be a really good piece they got back in the Mancini trade last year. And I expect him to be a big factor for the Orioles in 2024. And then the last thing is the lease agreement. Of course, we celebrated it Thursday night. Orioles announced that they had a new 30-year lease with Oriole Park at Camden Yards during the game, during the win that clinched the division on Thursday night. And then it came out on Friday when there was a little press conference with Wes Moore, the governor, and his officials that, well, it's not technically a lease agreement. What it is is, quote, a memorandum of understanding. That's not an agreement. And that is not binding. That is not pen to paper. That is more so an agreement between both sides that when we do have a lease, here's some of the things that are going to be in it. So it does show that they made progress here and they've agreed on some things in principle, but it is not a lease. And of course, the way they worded it on the screen, the way they showed John Angelos and Westmore in the booth, Angelos was saying, hey, we signed the lease. And once again, he lied to Orioles fans. And you know what he wanted to do there? He really just wanted to have the spotlight on himself. He knew the O's were in the spotlight to win the division. And John said, how can I make it about myself? Let's tell them we have a lease when we really don't. Now it's a step forward, but it's not a lease yet. Clock is ticking. We are less than three months away from the deadline on December 31st. It looks like they will have a chance to do just another two-year extension option, which might be the way they do it to quote-unquote get it right in two more years. But uh, yeah, just classic John Angelos. It is what it is. 
He won't get in the way this postseason. Orioles are going to the playoffs. They're playing the winner of the Rangers and the Rays coming up on Saturday. But it was a great September, right, for the Orioles to get to the postseason. And coming up on tomorrow's episode, we're going to look back on September. The Orioles' September awards tell you who's hot and who's not heading into the postseason for the O's. That's all coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.